When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast. Oh, and, it on our, and on our websites, guideemily.com. And alexlacy.com, as well as our dedicated website, ladieswholondon.com, for information about us, upcoming tours, and what the Blue Badge Guiding Qualification is all about. Happy International Women's Day, Emily! <gasps> Happy International Women's Day! Oh my gosh, do you feel in the feminine love? Yes, <laughs> what a way to phrase it. Yeah, do you know what? I've been feeling a bit emotional this this uh, today about it i don't know why i think it might be a, a a combination of all the ukraine stuff which i just cannot stop watching and mm. also the fact that yesterday i watched <laughs> the final of both the great product pottery throwdown and lego masters australia and the finals are always really emotional <laughs> wow yeah. i lego <laughs> what i'm so oh confused. my god oh There's... my god lego masters have you not been watching it no, I'm all, you know, one, I, is heaven. I watched them. Um, there's a, a glass blowing one. Oh yeah, and chocolatiers, and you know where people make kind of crazy cupcakes. But Lego, that sounds oh, awesome. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, Channel Four, watch it. it. You won't regret it. But it was the final last night, and the final of the pottery, and everyone's in tears. And I was like, wah, 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 wah. so. <laughs> I'm a delicate little Tense flower. Week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a lovely day. I spent it out this morning with one of my friends who was training to be a blue badge guide, and I was drilling him at the National Gallery because he's got his exam in a week or so. So we were looking at all the paintings, and I was, you know, gently, hopefully, pointing out all the places he was going wrong. And then I went to get my hair did, and then yeah, and then I've just come back. It's been a beautiful day, and it's been. Yeah, it's been rather nice, just sort of reflecting on ladies. And I did, I did a few things on Instagram about some of the women that we've looked at on the podcast. And as I was going mm. through, I was like, there are so many that we've done, and yeah. I couldn't quite, I couldn't put them all up. So I was like, oh, in the end, I sort of did a, a mash up one of here's a ton of women that we've looked at. But yeah, it's rather nice. What about it you? It's crazy, isn't it? I was, um, yeah, flicking through all of our podcasts the other day. Um, and trying to find a link to the beer flood, which of course is like I think maybe the second or the third, and I was like, wow, I, I think it might be we, the first we... one. I think it's the first proper one we did after the intro. You know? Oh, it was actually no, you're right, it was the first one. But yeah, there was so many things that I kind of I passed, and I was like, oh god, yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot I about that. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so International Women's Day. I had a bit of a fail, actually, because I was meant to go on a friend's walking tour, which was Kick-Ass Woman in Chelsea. Oh, yes. Um, which was, well, I thought it was 2 p.m. Um, oh, no. And she messaged me whilst I was on my way um, about one o'clock saying, oh, where were you this morning? So absolute fail. Oh, no. Um, so... Carmen and I spent a good few hours kind of going around St. James's Park and staring at the swans and the pelicans. It's just the most amazing place, especially on a sunny day, isn't it? Uh, it really is. And, and today was particularly mm. gorgeous. Particularly really gorgeous. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you've had a nice day. Nice. And I hope all of our yeah, listeners have had a lovely day too. Happy International yeah. Women's Day to all of you who are women or know a woman or are standing next to a woman, you know, all of that, all of that. <laughs> and actually, I, I've had a, a rather fun interaction with uh, someone on Instagram this week, Hilary Levin. Hi, Hilary, um, who is coming. She's in the, in the USA. She's coming to London in June. And she she was asking me, whereabouts you are from, Em? Because she, she said, bless her, she said, I figured out that Emily has a similar accent too. Okay, who have you been told that you sound like anyone before? Oh, how funny. Um, I don't think I have. Who would you imagine? Uh, maybe a few like? years ago. Is, is, well, I don't know, going back to my Essex roots, is it some, <laughs> I'm, it's someone from Towie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she thinks she's like, think she like Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson? Emma Thompson, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Emma Thompson. <laughs> I know. And then, then her, she, she brought it back with Alex. You have a cool theatre voice too. <laughs> but yeah. So she wanted to know if you guys are from the same area. And I said, well, Emily's that from Essex. That is so I'm, funny. I'm, I'm, I don't know where Emma Thompson's from, but I suspect I love Essex. Emma Thompson. Oh my heaven. God. She is, isn't she? Oh, I'll absolutely run with that. Um, <laughs> oh, how funny. I wonder where she is from. I'm I don't have a Hmm. I feel like she might be London, but I, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, I guess my accent's a little bit kind of mishmash because I was born in Essex, but spent a lot of time on the Isle of Wight. Yeah. And then came to London, so... And then you spent a lot of time know. with me and you're getting posher. Yeah, I think that's what it is, babe, actually. Did I tell you when I last went home, my mum was like, who are you? I don't recognise your voice that's anymore. Amazing. What's going on? You're starting to um, actually pronounce letters that you've never pronounced before. <laughs> Um, right, let's anyway, thank you, Hilary. That was a, a lovely compliment for Emily. Yeah, uh, thanks, Hilary. She's thrilled with that. <laughs> I'm well thrilled with that. <laughs> anyway, um, so oh, while oh, I have a look at this, well, I, while I look at this, tell everybody what we were doing last week. Right, well, last week we were up at the rather fabulous Ali Pali or Alexandra Palace which was your um, one from last week. And it was, where, where's she from? Go on, you found it, haven't you? <laughs> she's from Paddington. Paddington, brilliant. London, totally no yeah. Essex. So she's a she's a London girl. Wow. I, think I suppose she Thanks, was, Hillary. Right? I'll take anyway. that. Oh, our lovely uh, Emily slash Emma Dell slash Thompson. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get some kind of scripts out that she's done and see um yeah. see see if I do sound like her. If you can deliver uh, anyway, yes. wonderfully caustic lines in the same way. So yeah, so we talked about Alexandra Palace and we talked about um, the amazing legacy of that building and the fact that it, you know, I mean, we all know it as, well, Londoners really know it as uh, the place where the BBC radio was sort of broadcast from. Um, 
And that's kind of what I went for my pick for podcast pedestal, which was The Crest, which I thought was a fantastic pick, which had the... <laughs> shut up, Emily. Uh, which had the the lovely sort of beacony, like uh, the lightning flashes on it to tell you that it was part of this kind of electrical thing. And what did you go for? I went for the phenomenal choice, which was um, <laughs> the airship, which was built within the grounds of Alexandra Palace by Dr. Barton, no less. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's a pretty, pretty <laughs> good choice, I'd say. How good of a choice do you think it was? Um, landslide kind of good choice. Oh, she's confident. She's <laughs> confident in this week. If you had to put a figure on the landslide, what are we thinking? Um, I'm thinking probably nine out of ten. Oh, that's a bit much, isn't it? That would be ninety percent. It is um, a landslide, but it's not well quite done. that much. Maths. It's seventy. Um, okay, let's seventy percent still to 70% me. Seventy percent to you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank day. you, everybody. Thank yeah. you. Happy days. So Although that put you I, the now? crest. It does actually. Yeah. Five four. <gasps> Five four. Damn. Damn. <laughs> All right. Okay. You made a comeback. Brilliant. That's quite yeah. a Doctor Barton. <laughs> come on. Good old Doctor Barton. Good skills, mate. Good skills. Fantastic. Um. And so, where are we off to this week, Miss Lacey? Well, this week we uh, landed in Westminster. And Westminster's great because there are so many people there. And I think the last time we landed in Westminster, I talked about um, Angela Burdette Coots, who I love. She's amazing. Mm. And this time, because it's International Women's Day uh, today or yesterday, if you're listening on Wednesday, um, I thought I would really like to kind of lean into that and go for another woman. Oh, woman. And I decided to go for somebody that I've been meaning to look into for quite some time. So it's the perfect opportunity. It's a lady called Afra Ben. Now, do you know anything about Afra Ben? I'm excited to hear about her. Okay. I've I've heard her name here and there. Yeah. But I don't know too much. All right. Okay. Well, she does link in quite considerably to a I mean not not directly really to a previous woman that we've had on the podcast which was one of your choices which is Virginia Woolf now they are not around in the same time at all Virginia Woolf is around about 250 years later than Afro Ben Mm. and to be honest I mean we we don't know exactly what Afro Ben's dates are And, and to be honest we don't know that much about her life okay Virginia Woolf really hails Afra Ben as um, the first English female, uh, well, English woman, English female writer to make her living as a writer, which is quite a big deal if you think about it. You know, we don't Mm. get that many female writers throughout history, more so in the modern era, particularly obviously up to date now. Um, But back in the 1600s, which is when Afra Ben was around, very very un you know unlikely for a woman to be well kind of given creative free reign or, or to be able to do anything really so this is quite an uh, unusual thing and afro ben wrote plays and novels and she was the most successful female writer of her era and really kind of set the bar high for female writers coming in after her like virginia Woolf herself so we'll come back to virginia Woolf because there's you know virginia's got quite a, a sort of claim on on i guess a bit of the legacy of afro ben which we'll, we'll come to later so we don't know that much about her life we think 
we don't know for definite, but we think that she was born in 1640. We don't really know her birth name and we don't know exactly when or where she was born either. So she's a bit of an enigma. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so this is a, a pseudonym that she gave herself for writing? Well, so we know that Afra is her name. Ben is the surname that she takes from a guy that she marries later. But we don't know okay. what her birth surname was. And we don't even know if Afra was the actual name. There's a few kind of different slightly similar versions that it could have been so we don't know what she was christened what her you know her birth name was we know her as afra ben from the marriage that she had a little bit later mm. we don't know when she was born we think 1640 but we don't know when in that year we don't know where she was born either we think possibly well we think kent is what people have sort of managed to get it down to possibly canterbury possibly why we don't really know you know mm. any of these details and What's interesting is that we also kind of, just to compound this enigma, don't really know why we don't know <laughs> all, oh. all these things. There's a couple of reasons. Possibly um, she might have actually made it deliberately hard to find out about her early life. She might have kind of not, you know, let's say she is a woman in the 1600s, which at that point in time, people aren't really taking much notice of women because they are either in servitude or they are a wife or something and they don't really tend to be able to have kind of a career and that kind of thing so she's a, she's an anomaly anyway she might mm. have tried to sort of bury her her early life a little bit we don't know why also the kind of places that a, a man particularly a writer and, and bear in mind Afra Ben later on she's moving in pretty decent circles um the kind of places they'd be written down would be in maybe the records of a university like Oxford or Cambridge. Of course, women can't go to university in this period, so that's not happening. Um, house ownership records. Again, women couldn't really own property. It was tricky. Um, so again, all that sort of thing. So she's she's not, she's, she's sort of flying incognito and all those bits where normally you'd be able to track a man through records, through certain bits of their life that were available to men but weren't available to women so as an anomaly she sort of falls through the cracks a little bit so it could be that it's such a shame isn't it? it it kind of is but it's also kind of interesting because it then leaves it open for people to sort of speculate on her life a little bit and almost mm. create the narrative of her life that they want which we'll come back to um shortly one thing we do know is that in her well formative years at some point she traveled to Suriname in South America Suriname now so in, in terms of her parents we don't know who her parents were particularly there are different stories there's one story that her parents were a barber called John Amos and his wife Amy there's another one that she is the daughter of a couple named Cooper um, there's another one again that says that she was the daughter of Mr and Mrs Johnson of Canterbury and Johnson was he was actually a, a gentleman he was related to um, a lord a chap called Lord Willoughby and Lord Willoughby appointed him the Lieutenant General of Suriname now whether Afra Ben was um, Mr Johnson's daughter or whether they were, she was taken in by him or whatever we don't know but mm. we think this is who she travelled to Suriname with right so she goes there in sometime in the early 1660s so she's sort of you know well assuming that she was born in 1640 
teenagers, early 20s. Um, mm-hmm. They go there with Johnson and his wife and a, and a young boy who is said to be her brother. And they go to the West Indies and they, they, they live in Suriname. Now, she returned from Suriname. We know this in 1663. Now, this is where we start to get to know a few more kind of concrete details of her. So we know that she spent time in Suriname. Do you know anything about Suriname? No, no, not really. So it is um, in South America. If you look at that map of South America as a sort of almost like a long lozenge shape, Suriname is in the kind of northeast corner of it. And like so many places, it had been inhabited by native people, you know, first um, nation occupants for millennia, of course. And then it was screwed up by the Westerners, by the Europeans. Classic, right? (laughs) So Christopher Columbus uh, pops by, sees it from a distance in 1498. It's like, oh, there's a place there. And in the early 1600s, a few countries had tried to colonise it. Um, France, Spain, uh, I think Brazil had had a go as well, and England too. And they'd been stopped. They'd basically been pushed back by the people who had lived there for millennia. Good on them. And then in 1651, the Brits finally cracked that nut. And they, um, we, I should say, um, established a, a, a European colony there with... Uh, sugar plantations and their enslaved people as well but in 1667 the Dutch seized it and it then stayed under Dutch rule until 1975 so Dutch is spoken in Suriname Um, and there's a very strong link uh, between the two so if you imagine uh, Afra is in Suriname in that period where the Brits have colonised it and before the Dutch come in so she has been seeing very present you know slavery and british occupation and people of color and all of those things that will have you know informed her and that will and that comes back in a little bit so back in the uk back in london she comes back here she gets married to we think a merchant possibly a dutch merchant again not 100 percent sure who goes by the name of um, surname ben and there's about four different ways that it possibly could be spelled we don't quite know what his first name was, possibly Johan, few, again, a few reports. But we do know that from this point on, she uses the public name Afra Ben or Mrs. Ben. Okay, so there we go. Okay. Now, this, I mean, she, this is where her story starts to get really exciting. Their marriage doesn't last long. And again, we don't know oh. why. <laughs> he either dies. So exciting for her. He either dies or they separate. Whatever, we're not quite sure. It's a bit unclear again. But at this point, when whatever happens to her husband happens, um, she is left with no money. And she starts to, she already wrote poetry. She starts to kind of write poetry to get a bit of income. She comes Mm. to the attention of none other than the king, Charles II. Gosh, well, this is a step up, isn't it? I know. (laughs) So So we have no information about her, yet she's, you know, knocking on the door. Yeah. of the palace yeah exactly and wow. so whether that okay. you know the mm. if she was linked to that lord that when she went to Suriname with that you know mm. elevates you into the circles somehow again we don't know how she came to the attention of the king and he decided, and who writes King Charles II second, second, yes. uh, exactly so we're in the period of the restoration which mm. is quite an exciting period in the court you know we've had Charles I who was ousted head chopped off that was that was Charles II's 
dad. And then we had William... Uh, no, we didn't. We had Oliver Cromwell, uh, who was... I think Horrible Histories refer to him as as much fun as barbed wire underpants. Um, yes. He was, he was a fun sponge. He definitely was. Mm, so when Charles II comes on, um, he brings back all the stuff that Oliver Cromwell outlawed. Theatres and music and Christmas and smoking and all the fun stuff, all that kind of thing. So it's quite a, you know, quite a lot of fun happening in the Restoration Court. Charles II decides to employ her. Now. Oh, wow. And she's quite a strong Her life is suddenly getting quite exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Right? It's going to get even better. She's quite, she's a bit of a staunch royalist, you know, through her her entire life, actually. What do you think he's going to employ her as? Well, I mean, the obvious would be, uh, you know, his, well, his writer of some sort. Yeah, court poet You know, maybe, uh, it's It's not, not, did you say? Court poet. Yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing writing based. Uh, Brushing his wigs. (laughs) No. Um, I don't know, is it something a little bit more intimate, maybe? No, not intimate. He actually sends her away. Oh, as right, a, okay, the complete opposite. As a spy. Oh, as a spy. As a spy, yeah. Oh, I mean, this says quite a lot about what kind of character. She must have had quite a trustworthy appearance, you know. Mm. The mm, quite Maybe a bit of a plain Jane, actually, that nobody would suspect. Well, I don't know about that. And, and her later sort of, I guess, legacy is that she's a, bit of a an exciting racy lady oh she's a racy lady it's not how i pictured her at all well this is it and and there might that might not be quite as accurate as people said but anyway again we'll come back to that but he sends her off to the netherlands as a spy because the second anglo-dutch war started in 1665 and you remember i said he was she was possibly married to a dutch merchant so it might have been that she spoke dutch she'd been in suriname which well that's Mm. dutch later um, she might have spoken Dutch, she might have had contacts. We don't know why he employs her as that, but he sends her off to the Netherlands in 1666. And he paid for her trip over there to go and gather intelligence for the king. And she was given a code name, like, you know, we're going back to the kind of Nora Nyak Khan oh, thing of. of wow, 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 yeah. Her code name is glamorous, it's Astrea. Astrea? Code name Astrea. Astrea. Beautiful. And do you think this was the name that the king gave her i mean probably although to be fair i mean if you want to if you want to sort of i don't know infiltrate yourself into society maybe don't call yourself astraya because that's going to help you stick out but anyway whatever so maybe he did i mean who knows do we know what that means is it you know does it mean anything no i mean i not that i could find out uh just some rather glamorous name now he's paid for her trip over there but when she was done, uh, she hadn't got the money to get back. And so she got oh. in touch with him and she said, Oi, Charlie, um, I've, you know, done, I think she was there for maybe six months or so. I've done, I've done your thing. Uh, I need money to get back. And he refused. He refused to pay for her travel back. And this conversation, I mean, this is the 1600s. Like, that's going to take time for her to actually yeah. get her message to him and then find out that he's not going to help her. Yeah, he's not wow. on WhatsApp. Yeah, definitely not. Wow. No, no, no. Not on WhatsApp at this point. No. (laughs) And she requests a few times and each time he says no. So the way that she gets back is she has to borrow the money. She borrows the money from somebody. um, She gets back in December of 1666. And then she goes to the king and says, look, come on, 
you need to reimburse me for this. And he refuses to reimburse her time and time and time again. It's unbelievable, Bloody actually. Hell. I know. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm pretty shocked at King Charles II, actually. Are you? I thought, you I know, fair enough his dad. <laughs> Mm, maybe I don't know. I see him as quite a kind of a quite a jolly chap, actually. Maybe. Um, okay. Oh, well, yeah, a bit still of a bit of a devil, I think. But anyway, bit of a devil. So he he yeah. decides he's not gonna not gonna um, basically pay her expenses, and she ends up being taken into debtor's prison. Which, oh. which is a really you know, and we've spoken about debtor's prison before and how rubbish it is. Yeah. But for the king to end up just like not being that bothered and just letting you go into debtor's prison because he can't be bothered to pay your expenses is is a you know it's it's not cool, dude. It's not cool. It's really not cool. And is she in debtor's prison while still being away, or has she come back she's and come she's back. been put in? She's, she's come, come back. back and she's been put in debtor's prison. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So when she's in debtor's prison, and we don't again details we don't quite know how she was able to get out of debtor's prison she does but while she's there she starts writing to support herself Mm. so she'd already written poetry and she decides to start writing plays and eventually she'll get around to writing novels as well we don't know so we don't know how she gets out but we do know that her first play was produced in london in 1670 she's in debtor's prison in 1688 so within two years she's definitely you know she's out she's she's having plays produced um and after this experience that she's had with the king she pledges to herself that she is never going to depend on anyone for money ever again and rightly so you know good for her yeah absolutely i mean so if charles wasn't you know the knob that he uh sorry pardon my language actually <laughs> suddenly forgot where i was um <laughs> the devil as you say yeah. um devil then she wouldn't have gone to debtor's prison and she wouldn't have made it how she did yes yeah, so, i mean so let, let's not frame this as we have king charles to thank let's not give him that glory but yeah i mean but also she 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 is she does need some form of income. She's lost her husband in whatever way, you know, splitting up or him dying or whatever. Um, plus this, yeah. So and and she she's very witty. She's very talented, and so she thinks, right, well, let, let's let's use that. And so she throws herself into her writing, and from 1688, she earns her living writing for both the theatre and as a novelist for nearly 20 years which is pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. And she writes right. for both the King's Company and the Duke's Company. Now, all of this, you would think that she would be kind of going, I, I, like, whatever the King's done to me. I'm no longer a royalist supporter. Like, stuff that. But she is. The whole of her life, she's a royalist, which is you know, quite forgiving, frankly. But anyway. So she starts out with doing tragedy comedies and her first play that is is put on and is published is called The Forced Marriage. And it's slightly successful. It's not massively successful. She writes a couple more and gradually she moves from these sort of tragedy comedies into comedy and farce. And one of the most famous and in fairness, the play that is the first big commercial success for her and which then launches her career as a paid writer is one that's called The Rover. And The Rover is about a little group of of cavaliers, so cavaliers being the people who supported Charles I, 
mm-hmm. father of Charles II, who she's had these, this run in with. Um, in And it's set in Madrid and in Naples during the exile of the guy who will later become Charles II. So it's quite an interesting thing to kind of go back to the guy who sort of slighted you, but do this kind of comedy play around it. And it was so successful, hugely mm. successful. And it essentially cemented her reputation um, and her career. And she then went on to write 19 plays, co-wrote or at least helped out in many, many more, wrote numerous poems and several books as well. So quite wow. an interesting way to go. Mm. But the one that really stands out and really kind of turns heads and is is what she is most commonly known for is a really interesting book that she publishes in 1688 uh, and it's it's a short novel and it's called Orinoco and Orinoco is the story of an enslaved African prince now what's quite interesting about this is it seems that she might be writing from her own experience mm. she might have known this man in Suriname um, and in fact, in the book, she writes at the very beginning, she sort of places herself as the narrator in the book. And she says, I was myself an eyewitness to a great part of what you will find here set down. And what I could not be witness of, I received from the mouth of the chief actor in this history. Now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So admittedly, we don't know how much of that is a fictional position. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know you do get books where people go I'm narrating this and, and it is actually a fictional narrator but she definitely mm-hmm. wants us to kind of believe her account mm-hmm. so whether or not you know she did actually it was based on, on real life but mm-hmm. it is regarded as one of the earliest English novels and a lot of people now consider that it is a cornerstone of the development of the English novel as we know it today and what's particularly interesting and notable is it's a novel that does not have a white English protagonist. He is a black right. Suriname man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, to have that as, as the protagonist in this story is, is quite a big deal. So mm. not only is... I mean, she's not necessarily... I mean, the, the book does talk about his life as an enslaved man, um, as an enslaved African prince, and it's not necessarily specifically anti-slavery but it is definitely within that kind of i guess genre so she's not setting out a novel going i am going to tell you what is wrong with slavery but she is kind of playing into that narrative so it is a it is a book that is used as part of that kind of movement gosh do we find out what what happens to this enslaved young man i do you know i haven't actually read the full book and wherever i have read synopses there hasn't really been spoilers so which is good which is good so i don't <laughs> know and I, I mean i don't we we have no idea who if she has based it on somebody real who that person was so you know mm. we don't we don't know for any kind of real position um but yeah we would have to we'd have to read the book to find out what happens in it i suspect it doesn't end well but you know now it's interesting isn't it because there's so many um these blank parts to her life as mm. you mentioned at the start but i guess even if you are a writer and you know you're not writing um uh you know real life stories and things that have personally happened to you yeah. i think you can still kind of get to know the writer 
because they must have had influences in terms of the places that they're writing about sure. and the people. You've got to take it from somewhere, haven't you? Definitely. They say, write what you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Uh, and that's what people do. That's what they do the best. Mm. Um, so one thing that, as well that is worth mentioning is that in particularly her plays and poems were often seen as scandalous. Now, a lot of them talk about female pleasure. And I know, I know, heaven forbid. And some of them kind of poke fun at men and how shall I put this? Um, certain physical shortfalls, let's say that. So okay. she's having a yeah. bit of a, you know, and and, and her books and, and the ones that mention a lot of this are kind of criticised for being for their impropriety. And so her plays and poems are seen as pretty scandalous. And she does say, look, if I, if a man had written them, they wouldn't have been received as quite so scandalous. But I'm a woman writing and therefore you've all got your knickers in a twist. So, Oh, gosh. Could you, have you got any thing. to read out? Um, I haven't. Uh, I did look at, at possibly reading a couple of bits and pieces out from them. The trick with them is that, you know, it's in the 1600s. It's quite, it's sort of slightly Shakespearean speech. So I haven't gone too far into that. Um, so we wouldn't think of them to be, ooh, you know, ooh. I mean... Eyebrow raising. Put into, well, I mean, even so, for, you know, talking about female pleasure and things like that, probably uh, still a little bit today, people would still be like, mm, you know. But because yeah. of this, and, and people started kind of, I guess, putting a little bit of that levelling of scandalous nature and that impropriety on her as well. And because so little is known of her life... There have been, I think, six biographies of her now over, you know, since her death. Six? Six. It's not, not that many, really, in what? Yeah, but how could they possibly... I mean, I, I guess you can fill it with the synopsis of her, her books. But if there's so much of her life that we don't know... Yeah, but this is it, you see. What people are able to do, it's almost kind of... Because we don't know so much about it, they're almost given free reign. So they can kind of extrapolate whatever info they like. They can take the little kernels of truth and then sort of make your own narrative, make whatever narrative you really like from a kernel of truth, from some from a starting point. But that doesn't that's not going to help to keep the facts straight. And I think that's what's then happened with these biographies is that we then get even more confusion about, you know, who her parents were, where she was born, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost... She, she's almost kind of then become a figure where people can get quite excited about, I guess, because there isn't so much info, just projecting whatever you want onto almost like a blank canvas and yeah. going, well, she wrote this because of this and she did that because of that. Um, and she is sort of maligned a little bit shortly after her death as a bit of a sexual libertine. Oh. We, we don't really know. So she got married to this one guy. She might have had a couple of other lovers. We don't really know. But um, one of these biographies was written by Virginia Woolf herself. Oh, oh yeah. yes. you Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what we do know about Afra Ben is that she died in 1689. So assuming that the date of birth we have for her 1640 is correct, she died at 49 years of age. Do mm. you know where she's buried? Um, I'm going to say Bun Hill. Ooh, very interesting. And why do you say Bun Hill? Um, well, I kind of presume that she's buried in London and that's the biggest burial in central London. Burial so Bun Hill is, is a non-conformist's 
mostly, isn't it? Um, cemetery. Mm-hmm. And you would mm-hmm. kind of think that. However, she's very much a conformist. She's a royalist. She's a conservative. Ah. She she toes the line on a lot of stuff. So she might be kind of breaking the mold by being a woman, um, kind of going out there and breaking the mold by by writing as a woman and having her own career. But ultimately, her beliefs and, oh. and everything she goes. Oh, go on. Oh, I know where she's buried because we're in Westminster. She's yes. in the Abbey. She's in the Abbey. <laughs> She's in Westminster Abbey. She is not in Poet's Corner. She's in the cloister, interestingly. Ah, yes. Sorry, I just remembered that's what you said last week. <laughs> yeah, she's in Westminster she's in Abbey. in the cloister. Yeah. Which cloister is she in? Uh, the, <clears throat> so, uh, which direction would it be? I think it'd be the east one. When you come out of the body of the church and you walk straight ahead towards the dark chapter house. Yeah, towards the chapter house. And yeah. then when you get to the chapter house, you turn right. And she's pretty uh, much right there as you turn the... Uh, is she... No, hang on. Is she in that bit? No, a lie. She's in the section between coming out of the body of the church and... And the um, chapter house. And the chapter house, yeah. So she's in that section yeah. right there. And... Oh, um, exciting. It, this is it. Now, it's funny because we, obviously, as guides, guide in Westminster Abbey. And when we did our mm. exams, we are able to give, should you wish, everyone out there a three-hour in-depth tour of Westminster Abbey. Now, <laughs> when we did that, we didn't talk about Angela Burdett Coots. We didn't talk about Afra Ben. We didn't know that they were buried there until we started the, this podcast and started looking into people, did we? No. So, I mean, I, did, I had no idea she was buried there <laughs> until last week when you said. So it's kind of interesting that there are... And that's what I, I'm really enjoying about this podcast. I don't know if anyone else enjoys this, but I enjoy about it is picking out all these people from history that don't get the coverage, mm. particularly the women, and going, these guys are amazing and this is what they did. And mm. I really love it. So I feel like, I feel really lucky to be doing this podcast because I feel like it is helping me understand London better, find new things in London and celebrate people who don't normally get the celebration and who merit it really. Absolutely. Anyway, here, here. My... I second that. And you know, we've had we've had a couple of messages as well of people saying that as well. Oh, really? Oh, that's lovely. you know, that's lovely. yeah, that they're they're loving learning about these different people. That's and so nice. Well, that well we're right there with you. So, the, so there we go. You know, aren't run of the mill. So yeah. Now great. her story doesn't end when she dies. There's no, there's not a Charlie Chaplin body snatching like no, none of that. Luckily, but it's, it's more to do with her legacy. So I think one of the things that is interesting about Afra Ben is you know often when writers die um their legacy is their work so you know you think about Shakespeare we of course we know about his life we celebrate his work we celebrate the work of Jane Austen we celebrate the work of you know so many different people Afra Ben one of the things about her is that kind of her her legacy is her life story or what little we know of it so what's quite interesting is that She's she's a a champion of women and she's an amazing writer and her literary skill has been praised. And like I say, it's the cornerstone of the modern English novel, if you like. But her life and the fact that she is a woman and the fact that she was maybe more sexually promiscuous than the time allowed tends to be more of her legacy than her actual work. So, for example, Virginia Woolf, when... Um, when well actually let's do this in in order um so when she dies a few days afterwards there is a an essay that is published on her anonymously the author says that um 
well, describes herself as a young lady of quality. And she starts kind of praising Afroben, saying she's a champion of women. And she's kind of saying, you know, now that she's gone, who is going to take her place? And then she says, she says like the loss of this, of Afroben, who she refers to as Astrea, her spy name, um, as a triumph for men, because who can then sort of reclaim the power over women that Afra wasn't willing to kind of give up, if that makes sense. So there's, I'm just going to yes. read you a little section. It says, let all our hopes despair and die. Our sex forever shall neglected lie. Aspiring man has now regained the sway. To them we've lost the dismal day. So she's kind of saying, look, the fact that Afra Ben was going out there and sort of, uh, you know, creating her own career, creating her life as a working woman was more than a, you know, more than just her being an amazing author. It's a, it's a big deal for women. But she then tars it with a little bit of a brush. Afterwards, she, she says, you know, she kind of says Afrobem was a great model for women. She was a great champion for women. But she then sort of criticises what, what they sort of saw as her, let's say in, in quotes, lack of virtue in her private life. And so she then writes... Twas pity that she practised what she taught. Oh, God. She's basically slut-shaming her a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massively so. So, her legacy has been a bit of a changing one because in the later part of the 17th century, so she dies in uh, 1689, and the later part, so really going into the 1700s, um, she was painted as a bit of a sexual libertine. And she'd been around over the reigns of King Charles II and James II. So that restoration period, which was quite hedonistic, there were all kinds of parties, you know, James II in particular had all sorts of scandalous gender bending, you know, all kinds of different parties and all this sort of thing. And so that narrative of her being a bit of a hedonist, which I think is probably a slightly unfair narrative, fits Mm. the bill really quite nicely. And so um, what then happens is she kind of becomes a little bit criticised and a bit condemned because everybody at the start of the 1700s starts kind of pushing back against that hedonistic restoration and they start going, oh, well, you know, she was part of that and all that sort of thing. So she was a bit maligned. Now, enter our good friend Virginia Woolf in the Bloomsbury set and they set about reviving her reputation and the status as kind of the first female professional writer. And they sort of invent her as an early feminist, which there is, I guess, uh, truth in that. Yeah. Um, And she was a huge influence for Virginia Woolf. And Virginia Woolf says in one of her books, she has a whole chapter on Afro Ben. And she says, all women together ought to let flowers fall upon the tomb of Afro Ben. For it was she who earned them the right to speak their minds. Oh, that's rather beautiful. It is rather beautiful. But again, Mm. do you notice... It's her life eclipsing her work again. Mm. So it's the fact that she yeah. was a woman, the fact that she was maybe a little bit, you know, well, by the time, a little bit more sexually loose. There's nothing talking about the quality of her work. It's about the simple fact that she was a woman. So in a way, her yeah. life has sort of eclipsed her work a little bit, which is a shame, but I guess it's all grist to the mill of women's empowerment and and moving forward as a working woman and an artist, really, a female artist. Hmm. So there we go. That's Afro Ben. 
gosh, what a fantastic person to talk to on International <laughs> Women's Day, no less. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh so, God, I'm you know I, I I must go into Westminster Abbey and see her grave. Mm. It's funny because I've it, been I've been sort of noticing it more and more as I've been going in, and when and I've had her on my list for a little while, going I really want to learn a bit more about Afro Ben, and so when mm. that came up, I was like, right now now is the chance. Um, yeah, interesting lady, yeah. and I do like her link with the uh, sort of well the the book that she wrote Orinoco um, about you know with with a, a person of color as the protagonist and whilst not explicitly an anti-slavery text one that is playing into that narrative so mm. wow well, there we go thank you very much indeed alex that was lovely treasure. podcast pedestal so podcast pedestal where where are you gonna go I know where I'm going to go. Do you? But it's it's your chance. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. To, uh, I always, I always, always um, say first. I always forget forget what your what your rule is. Okay, okay. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? I wonder. Ooh. I mean, mm, okay. I ah, oh, there's some different bits that are quite important, um, and I think oh. Do I want the spy bit? Do I want that? Or do I want the Orinoco? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, I tell you what I'm going to have. I'm going to have her being thrown in debtor's prison. No! Oh, no, is that your one? I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Shall I, I'll have another one then. I'll have another one. I'll have a different one. You can have that one. <laughs> If oh, you no, really want it, you can't. Little dejected face. No, I can't do that to you. Okay, <sighs> I am going to go for. I think. I think I am going to go for her for her novel Orinoco. Yeah, I'm going to go for a novel because for me, that is the most important bit, and I think it really solidifies her reputation and and the sort of thing of her going against the narrative which clearly she you know she has done like I say she's still sort of a royalist and a conservative and all that kind of thing but doing a, a, a really groundbreaking novel like that that's the one that becomes the cornerstone for English novel writing it's got a person of colour and a non-English person in the protagonist role and it's groundbreaking so I'm going to go for mm. Orinoco that's a good one. No, very important piece of writing. Um, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued to have a little look myself. Um, so I am going to go for Dessa's Prison, <laughs> just because I think at that point, as I mentioned whilst you was telling the story, that if Charles II, you know, said, oh, yeah, that's fine, I'm going to send you some money over, get you back to London, no problem at all, then she wouldn't have had the money troubles that she did. And having that free time to go right well what am I going to do where where do my talents lie yeah. which you know especially over the past couple of years for so many people you've had to suddenly go okay how am I going to make money yeah. I think that um uh, I think that that was the turning point for her life Fair and enough. who knows what what she would have done if she hadn't have gone to debtor's prison so yes I'm going to go for debtor's prison okay all right that's it then so Emily's mm. option is debtor's prison and my option is Orinoco 
the story of the enslaved African prince, which may or may not be based on fact, but definitely <laughs> has an important legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the novel. No. <laughs> Come on, I'm already one ahead. Make it two. Make yeah, it two absolutely. ahead. Now, we do have something to announce this week, don't we, before we finish, before we do the, the, the Wheel of Destiny. We have a competition for you. Which we do. is and very competition. exciting. Oh, it involves chocolate. It does involve chocolate. <laughs> We're coming up to Easter. Emily's so excited. Emily, you can't win it. You're not allowed ah. to win it. Well, if no one enters it. <gasps> I really want to win it. <laughs> so, um, we have been approached by a rather famous chocolate company, uh, Lint. And they are working in connection with historic royal palaces. So Hampton Court Palace and Kensington Palace in London. Because they're doing a um, an Easter egg hunt. Well, a, rather I should say an Easter bunny hunt. Which they've done before. And in the grounds of Hampton Court and Kensington Palace, they are doing um, basically a hunt that you can buy tickets for. You can go along, do the hunt and collect chocolate uh, bunnies as you go. So they've offered us two prizes. Emily, do you want to tell people what the prizes are okay so the first prize is a 1kg bunny <laughs> chocolate bunny <laughs> Emily's so excited about this I'm so excited so it's a lint chocolate bunny yeah. um, one kilogram Kilo. chocolate I mean god <laughs> wow um, so that's the first prize the second prize is two tickets to the hunt itself and this could be either at Kensington Palace or Hampton Court Palace and the hunt is from the 2nd of uh, April until the 18th of April yeah so you can pick your date um, so we will be drawing the winners um, for the tickets for the event on the 30th of March so that you've got time to then figure out what date you're going to be. So that is open to absolutely anybody. If you're going to be able to get to London, uh, if you're going to be here anywhere, I know some people are coming over from America during that period of time. Um, so you can enter and see if you can get two tickets to go and do some Easter egg hunting at either Hampton Court or Kensington, whichever you pick. The one kilogram lint bunny, uh, the draw for that is going to finish on the 11th of April. And I'm really sorry, but this one is only for UK residents because it's going to be shipped to you. Um, so those are your choices. Now, what we're going to do is set up a bit on the website, a bit like the Christmas competition. You can go, you can enter and you can tick the box for the one you want to enter. You can enter both if you like. But if you're thinking, well, I'm actually not going to be in London in that period of time. There's no point doing that. I'll do the bunny just take that one um, and then we will make the draws the 30th for the tickets and the 11th for the bunny. Emily, I will be checking to see if you've entered. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm so tempted. I'm not going to though. And what we're asking you to do is write in and tell us about your Easter experiences. It could be a particular Easter that you just really hold dear to your heart. Um, it could be chocolate related. It could be religious related. Completely up to you. Whatever you fancy. Um, yeah, so do please do come and, and enter on the website um, and... If you, if you wanted to, instead, you can always email us. But we prefer you filled in the form because then they're all in one place and we don't miss you out that way. And we'll do a draw, um, same way we did last time. And uh, yeah, so there we go. Good luck out there. Good luck. Absolutely. <laughs> the Wheel of Destiny. 
So it's time for the uh, Wheel of Destiny. Wheel of Destiny, yes. and I have I've I've changed the wheel around a bit. I've put some extra places on there. I've taken yeah. some off that we've been to. You so taken off North times. London? <laughs> no, North London's still there, but oh, I have what? added a few. So yes, it's still there. So big. <laughs> But I have added a couple of little kind of offshoots, such as Islington, which is also quite a big area. But, um, okay, I'm going to spin it. Off we go. All right, brilliant. (gasps) Oh, it's landed in one of the new spots. Oh. It's landed in Pimlico. Oh, Pimlico. Interesting. (laughs) We've never had Pimlico. (laughs) Um, Put it on before. (laughs) And look, to be honest, I put it on and instantly thought, if I get Pimlico, I want to talk about someone that's related to the Tate Britain. So it might oh. be a bit cheeky, but I'm going to go straight to the Tate Britain. And I would like to talk about a sculptor, if <gasps> I may. Is it my favourite artist? Who's your favourite artist? Barbara Hepworth. Yes, I'm going to talk about Babs. Yes, I'm going to talk about Babs. I did, I did yeah. her on the um, on Global Tea Break, and she. Oh, well, I'll tell you about my my Babs experience next week. But um, yeah. Oh, I love Barbara Hepworth. Oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah, she. Yeah, fabulous, absolutely fabulous. So I'm going to talk about her. Yay! Yeah, next week. Wonderful. Yay. Brilliant. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for coming and listening. Um, please go and enter the competition. Chocolate to be had. Who doesn't want chocolate? And yes, um, we will keep we'll keep reminding you in the next few weeks about the competition as well. Um, but please, if you ha- get a moment, we would really love uh, a little review. Um, you can review us again, even if you've reviewed us before. You can, I think, you can do it in one per episode. Um, but we'd love more people to find us and uh, to have more people coming to listen. Just more, more, more the more the merrier. So please give us a little review and tell your friends about us um, and all that kind of thing. And uh, we will see you next week. Barbara. Perfect. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.